Nebraska on Tap, the source for everything educational and informational about groundwater in agriculture. If you are an ag producer or a citizen of Nebraska, this show is made for you by the Middle Republican Natural Resource District. Now it's time for our weekly show, hosted by Heather Disming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Nebraska on Tap. So this week, I'm going to take you back in history. We had um, Jerda Gary Vickers come in and talk to us about the book that she wrote called Creating Visions and Meeting Challenges. In this book, she talks about how her involvement with this became so family orientated. Her father, Don Thompson, was one of the first people to start with the Republican Valley development. And through all this hard work with the Republican Valley development, all these dams are still standing today. I brought her in to talk about the book she wrote on the history of these dams. So stay tuned as we get into that. Hello, I'm Jerda Gary Vickers, and I am originally from McCook, Nebraska. I was born uh, south of town, and there were all eight of my grandparents lived within an eight-mile radius south of McCook. I definitely have had a long history in that area. Some of my professional work includes having been a trained as a teacher because I couldn't major in agriculture. And back in 1957, there were not any females in the College of Agriculture then. And I majored in family and consumer sciences. I taught home economics for uh, at Crete and at Bartley, Nebraska. First husband and I moved back to McCook and on my parents' Uh, place, and we were in the registered cattle business and uh, farmed. And then when farming got a little tough, why I went back to work, and I earned my master's over five summers, driving back and forth to Lincoln, and achieved uh, a position at the McCook Community College, where at that time it was McCook junior college, Mm -hmm. and then created a program of studies there in different uh, areas, early childhood education program, fashion merchandising, culinary arts, was uh, the health occupations director. Eventually uh, moved up the ladder and became the dean of community services, and at that time I began working on my doctorate. In 1994, I achieved that level and then looked at some other opportunities and moved to Des Moines, Iowa as the head of Iowa Council on Vocational Education. A couple years later, the position opened for the state director of vocational education for Iowa, and I took that position and was very fortunate to have had quite an experience. Mm -hmm. When I retired, I moved back to McCook, and I've just had a whole variety of different kinds of activities, from teaching agriculture to managing my kids' greenhouses to being a nutritionist for WIC and 
just having fun and getting involved in in local government. So to hook up with Mr. Tom Vickers, (laughs) Senator Vickers, and uh, we have had an exciting last 11 years. That's awesome. Well, you have been a woman on the go, and I'm bringing you in today because you wrote a book called Creating Visions and Meeting Challenges, a Historical View on the Republican Valley Conservation Association, and one of the reasons why this is so close to you is because it involves your father, Don Thompson. Yes, and conservation and the Republican Valley Conservation Association is really a study of how local leadership and creating a vision uh, and tying everybody together and organizing and following their mission achieved some what we would call some great ideas, great plans from soil conservation to achieving the development of seven dams across the Republican Valley. Yeah, in in this book, you you write about your dad's um, perspective at the beginning, how your dad's passion for the project started by him being involved in the flood, turned him into a key player, and then eventually a senator. Yes, my father lived south up in the hills, and as a high schooler, he drove through the valley where he saw some green vegetation, and he understood what the river meant to the area. And there had been many floods in on the Republican. Starting in 1892, there was one recorded clear through uh, several until 1935, and we call that the major flood. There was, it started in Ray, Colorado, and it just devastated the valley with over, some say 123 deaths, others say 113, and so it's accountable. My father and my mother had just gotten married uh, a few days before this flood occurred, and he got a call to come down into the valley to help his relative move potatoes out of their potato cellar. And so he and his brothers, he had an older brother and a younger brother, went and they'd parked their vehicle on the hill. They did not drive it down into the valley and went down as they were pulling out the potatoes. All of a sudden, the water was coming up from backwater from the Driftwood Creek, and then the water was rising rapidly. Uh, And so they decided there, everybody decided they needed to get out of there. And as he and his brothers were trying to get across the ditch, (laughs) which had now become a major waterway to get up to the hill, uh, the younger brother was kind of swept away, and my dad told me about reaching down to try to grab him, and he grabbed him twice and finally got a hold of his collar, and uh, then his older brother came and helped get him out. And so they saw, he saw the devastation. Mm -hmm. He had a fear of water, a fear of floods. And every time then, as he moved, he and my mother purchased a place down in the valley. Every time... Uh, the Driftwood Creek would come up. He always had this innate fear of 
on edge. Yeah. But he understood the value of flood control, mm-hmm. of irrigation. And then we did like to go fishing. And so he always said, well, you know, someday those reservoirs will have fish in them. And uh, I, that was always just a, a minor component of all of this planning. He got involved. Harry Strunk somehow. Harry was a dynamic leader, uh, publisher of the newspaper, and he had the compassion for doing the vision, I believe. And he formed the organization of the Republican Valley Conservation Association. My dad was then the first director of the Frenchman Valley Conservation Association, uh, which was the largest irrigation district in the Missouri Valley. And so he had that experience and was then a board of directors for the association and eventually took over for Harry when Harry retired from being the president of the association. He also was very involved in cattlemen's organizations and specifically in water. Water was near and dear to him, uh, and he valued the importance. And uh, He was elected a senator in 1953 to the unicameral and then eventually was the speaker and was able to have a illustrious, I would say, career mm-hmm. in uh, water resources and in all of the organizations that he was involved in. Yeah, because when your dad got into the Senate, that's when the big change happened for the NRDs. These dams were built in a relatively short amount of time, you write in your book, after the back and forth with the agencies happened and how Harry Strunk wrote about it in his newspaper. It's kind of funny as well, you know, they'd send him a letter you wrote, and then he would kind of write it to the public (laughs) with his response as well. Harry's vision, and I believe the vision of the board, was that you have to empower this these communities and there were 26 communities that paid dues that joined the organization and they had a mission to not only uh, preserve water but to take care of it and to take care of the soil harry would write almost every day there was a picture of something happening concerning water or there would be Uh, Before their annual meetings, he would have pictures of everybody across the front page of the Gazette. And I even showed uh, Tom, my husband, Senator Vickers, a picture of him that was on the front page of the Gazette when uh, Harry was advertising the annual meetings, which were held at the Keystone Hotel. But Harry's vision started... uh, with the Twin Valleys organization that he had championed. And that organization was really the one that had the vision of doing the Tri-State Compact, which was uh, the compact between Kansas and Nebraska and Colorado. Uh, Even though it was started in 1933, the compact did not get signed until 1942 after the Republican Valley Conservation Association was formed. Mm-hmm. They, there were other organizations and other groups 
that were also pursuing action after the 35 flood. And there was a group down at Harlan County. They were first in and first to get their dam built. They eventually became very involved with the association. There was also a flood in 1947 in Cambridge, and that group and the Frenchmen uh, began to champion the need for having a dam on the uh, at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And then the Red Willow, the Willow Creek flooded continuously. And so all of these projects started basically because of a flood. Mm-hmm. They were flood protection first. And then with the reservoirs, they knew that there would be irrigation water was all very important. Mm -hmm. The key catalyst for all of this was that the association hired a lobbyist in Washington who was, (laughs) he never got paid very much because they didn't have much money, but he was so dedicated. And he just spent time all of the senators' offices and uh, the congressional offices, and would, um, Harry Strunk was on the phone continuously. There were resolutions that were passed at the meetings. First, the Flood Control Act of 1944 was very important because that was when the PICS loan money was created for these dams. And as they were doing them, World War Two started, and so that froze all of the supplies. Mm-hmm. And uh, however, after the war, these projects were the first ones to receive some action. I might mention Senator Norris. There was uh, in the book I relate some instances between some friction, and it was only because. Senator Norris believed that these projects should also include public power. He also was looking at a bigger picture. I think there was some feeling that he should be supporting these before he supported the Tennessee Valley Authority. But that all uh, was extremely interwoven, and they were all considering water and the water importance. And so there were issues with the Red Willow Dam and that was the last one, to, well, not the, Norton was the last one to be completed, but that one had some issues with funding continuously. Harry Strunk had put a, a big headline that the money, the appropriation had been passed and found out then that President Eisenhower vetoed it that evening. Oh, no. <laughs> and so it was back to the drawing board. Um There was always a lot of politics involved. Another major uh, component that helped to tie everything together was that at every annual meeting, major heads of, I mean, government heads were invited. Uh, Secretary of the Interior Udall was there. Fred Seaton was there. At times, governors from many states would be invited. Uh, you always had dignitaries there who were getting the message and seeing the importance of the organization. And this was before TV, so the importance of the newspaper and keeping that in front of everyone was, was vital. 
Right, keep everybody on the same yeah. page and definitely mm-hmm. informed. Curtis, we had had a dam at one point in time, and the floodwaters came out, and out it went, and now it's farmland. Good structure like Red Willow and Cambridge stay together is, is <clears throat> important, and those were built a while ago, and they're still holding up well. We have had a rebuild of the Red Willow, and uh, that one was just recently. But the Army Corps of Engineers does the maintenance. The Bureau of Reclamation are the basic owners, and the air gators are the ones that pay the OMI, the Operation Maintenance fees so you were assessed those fees and you were named into the district unless you had a good reason for being out of it mm-hmm. and so uh, it when you tied all of the landowners together and you tied all of the communities together and you tried to keep everybody happy with the progress it, it took a lot of innovation and I recalled going out we lived on a party line and Senator Curtis called for my dad and my mother happened to be I mean he actually got through and so my mother told me to run out to the field and bring my dad back and she just let handle of the phone dangle there and just told Senator Curtis's office that this is a party line just stay on it don't ever hang up and it, it took probably 15 minutes for me to get out there and to, and to ride back on the tractor with him so he could talk to, to Senator Curtis so those were things that I believe I met every senator and every representative that ever came to McCook from probably 1946 on just had a whole different aspect of things. I think Senator Wary even had to sleep in my bed because they couldn't get his last minute coming to McCook. All of the rooms in the hotel were taken, so... Uh, it, it was always a, a major component of my life and my family's life. And so, yes, the organization uh, moved on, and to answer your question, it got things done rapidly because of everybody working together and keeping the public focused. Clearly, I mean, if all the rooms were full, it was a big to-do. Oh, yeah. And then... Uh, we read in the book where they had like a party for the building of the dams and stuff like that, and everybody came. It was like 2,000 people. Uh, they had a dedication for every dam. Okay. And the first one for the Enders Dam, the dedication was held in McCook, and they published a big booklet, but they held a pageant, and every community had one of the uh, segments of the pageant and so there were about 1600 people involved wow. just in doing the pageant and it was a three-day event wow and then they would have the actual dam dedication they would do a, a, the dedication at the dam site so each community had their own activities trenton had a big a big major event cambridge had a big major event and so Yes, it, it was a community achievement. It meant so much to, to everybody then, too, because they knew that their houses were safe mm-hmm. because the dam was there for the flood mitigation, which is nice. Absolutely. And 
You are now looking at a centerfold in the book, which is a copy of a placemat that was always updated and utilized at every meeting of the Republican Valley Conservation Association. And it has pictures of each one of the projects. And some of the projects never uh, developed, such as uh, there was one on the Sapa at Oberlin. Uh, there have been different projects that did not materialize, one at Beaver City, because things changed. And the feasibility studies did not prove that they would be necessary. These placemats were utilized then in other restaurants around the town so that, again, you had people keeping in touch with what was really happening in the Republican Valley. So your dad kind of brought this up in the book. Well, you brought this up about your dad in the book. He talked about how surface water and groundwater were connected after they put these dams together. Well, I think there was a recognition that surface water and underground water were connected. And uh, the first was always people understood that you had springs that were coming from underground and they would then create the surface water and that there was a connection. One of the first meetings in 1941, the topic of underground water and the irrigation wells were addressed. In the legislature, there was the introduction of LB 460 to uh, set up some self-governing groups and volunteer compliance. And so this association, passed some resolutions. They testified at the hearings and uh, were very visibly involved in saying we need to be uh, doing something to uh, control uh, the use of the water. Now, that bill was not passed. Um, I think that we know that it discontinued uh, to escalate. They, in, I believe it was in another reference here in the book where uh, the report of the groundwater subcommittee for the governor's advisory committee on flood control was completed. My father had been a member of that committee, and it recognized that there's a close relationship between surface and groundwater. He was very proud of that uh, report. He worked hard on it, and uh, it was published. And I mean, as a child, I learned the term hydrologically connected and talked about aquifer at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. So um, it it was just kind of a part of our life. In 1972, uh, and this was just prior to the time that uh, my husband Tom uh, Vickers went to the legislature. There was a panel discussion at the meeting. My father made this statement, which I think is pretty profound. If groundwater is not used wisely and diligently, man-made laws will be necessary to govern regulation. Nature will shut off the supply. He then had introduced some legislation He stated that in 1974 that a bill would be introduced, and I believe Mr. Vickers might have introduced that uh, in the legislature for stricter water management. 
He also stated that basin transfer of water and natural recharge were not surefire methods of supplying required water for crop production. Um, and I only bring these up because after the NRDs were created, it was like, oh, you know, we have surface water and we have underground water. Well, that's my water. That recognition that people have been discussing this for years and understanding that, yes, they needed to have uh, legislation kind of comes to fruition that we now are in an era where we recognize and we understand the value and the connection between the two and how important it is to maintain that aquifer. We are sitting on this Ogallala aquifer that we need to preserve. And experiences Tom and I've had together was serving on the Republican Valley Basin Advisory Committee that was authorized by LB 1098 in 2014. And so uh, I noted that it was, and both of us did, people in the beginning were very protective of their own area water. And it's interesting because that water flows underneath, and so it doesn't stay the surface water that is helps to recharge it, and it all needs to be connected, and it needs to be uh, monitored, and trying to get groups of people together to say, hey, this is a whole Republican basin instead of just individual NRDs and individual little components uh, was a major effort. And we felt that there was some change in attitudes as they moved together and worked together. Yeah, and that brings me into my final question for you about how the NRDs in the area are responsible for the management of the water and need to be proactive and not greedy with that water? Well, I think greed is kind of our natural position that I want to protect my water. It's taken a while for the public to recognize that uh, the state has controls over surface water and the NRDs were given responsibility to maintain the underground water. and that pumping uh, has to be monitored and regulated in order for that balance to occur. Uh, There's not going to be recharge if we do not have the surface water. We cannot afford to lose all of the underground water for our future world. So it's extremely important that the NRDs work together and that they value their responsibility. And it's not just their little world they're working on. They're working over the future of our state and the future of our nation and for their grandchildren. Tom, my husband Tom, tells about some of the early hearings and people had an attitude that I don't give a darn. I just want to make sure that I can earn a good living and raise my own crops. But hopefully that attitude is changing, and the NRDs have a major responsibility as they set those restrictions and they set those boundaries that they enforce those boundaries.
Mm-hmm. Like here in the Republican River Basin, there's three of us. We have the Upper Republican, the Middle Republican, where we are right now, and the Lower Republican, which kind of touches a little bit into the Tri-Basin as well right. with the Republican River Basin. You know, and all of us, ha- do you, like you said, do you have a responsibility to work together to make sure that A, Kansas gets the water that they need, and that B, it's kind of an even playing field for the farmers in the area as well so that <clears throat> everybody is not one person's paying for the other person you know and vice versa and all that wild stuff that happens in between the the whole concept that we need to have different allotments for a different segment uh, has been harder for some people to accept and we just know that it takes more water to raise a crop in, in certain areas however The whole underlying component is we cannot afford to keep drawing down the aquifer, and we need to continue to find ways to recharge it and ways with our, as you mentioned, modern farming techniques um, and advanced farming techniques of utilizing less water, of genetics, uh, planting crops that... uh, will produce use less water and certainly our irrigation systems uh, utilize have less evaporation and and it all works together and we have made in the no-till farming we have made some amazing strides but uh, again i'd say that we have major responsibilities and water is our precious resource i agree with that too and you know, the no-till is, is definitely something that's been great for the farmer. When it comes down to it, we definitely don't receive as many inches here as they do in Illinois or Iowa. So that recharging factor is a huge thing we need to watch for. Well, the whole organization of the Republican Valley Conservation Association could have been another organization. But this organization created uh, a vision they followed through. Uh, it was empowered by many. They heard themselves. I mean, they were well known on in Washington D.C. and Harry Strunk even was known for calling presidents in the middle of the night. Particularly, President Truman kind of got on his list. They were not afraid to seek and to reach the limits. That's perseverance, and certainly. That organization is a study that could, uh, I believe, communities can utilize in the future and look back and say, look what they accomplished and look what we can accomplish. Yeah, because we want to keep this water here for a lot longer than 10 or 20 years, more like 200 to 300 years, right? Or thousands. Thousands, yes. As long as it's been here, we want to keep it there the same amount. So, and yeah, and central pivot irrigation really did play a huge factor with a lot of that. And, you know, like you said, the no-till going back to that, most of that water absorbs in now. Runoff is much, uh, but still when it's needed, when it's needed, like when we just had 25 inches this last spring, so. Reservoirs uh, certainly kept the flooding at bay, and they certainly helped capture water that can be utilized in the future. So uh, it it's a work in progress. 
Yeah, always learning, always trying stuff out. So, well, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing all that you have on your book. And again, it's called Creating Visions and Meeting Challenges with Jared Gary Vickers. Thank you. Yes. Wow, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. History plays such a huge part in where our future is going. And it's so nice to know that even back then, everybody saw a situation and knew that it needed a solution. And people stepped up together to create that solution. And here we are today with the solution still in progress, Um, you know, flood mitigation or anything like that that might happen because of these reservoirs that they worked so hard to make happen back then. Again, thank you so much, Jerda, for coming in and sharing all of your history and knowledge with us today. And we will talk to everybody next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube page our Spotify, our Apple podcast. You can always visit us at www.nebraskaontap.com for any other episodes and information. So have a great rest of the week and we will talk to you later.